Welcome to the Mama Sisterhood. I'm Heather Evans. When my twins were born at 24 weeks gestation, I began to think about the uniqueness of each of our motherhood journeys. I also began to understand the importance of education and support from other moms, no matter how different our lives may be. Each episode will highlight one mother's journey and the lessons she has learned on this crazy path we call life. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to the Mama Sisterhood. Welcome back to the Mama Sisterhood. I have such a special guest here today. I am so excited. So I have Amanda Schmidt today. And the reason why this is so extra special is Amanda and I met in first grade and I'm 42 now and we have stayed friends this whole time. And so, um, I'm so excited to have you here. So Amanda, can you go ahead and give a little bit of your own introduction, who you are, your family, where you live, all those kinds of things? Yeah, um, I Heather was my first friend um, and my neighbor, Allison. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am Amanda Schmidt. I am 42 also. I live in Minnesota. So I grew up in St. Louis and that's where I met Heather. And then I spent about six years in Kansas City and then I moved to the great white north of St. Paul, Minnesota, where it snows a lot. And now I'm here raising two tiny Minnesotans. I am um, a divorced single mom. I have a 15 year old and a 10 year old, which is really surreal. Now I am a full-time graphic designer um, and I work hybrid. So three days in the office, two days at home. I wish I was at home all the time. I like it better, um, but it's good. And I'm thankful for a flexible job. And- That's awesome. It's so funny that we were recording this this week because I thought of you and our friend Allison because Hannah came home from school a couple days ago and she had her very first best friend necklace. And it was just like the one the three of us had where it was split into three different pieces. And because I remember we had that. And if I remember right, you had the middle piece and Allison and I had the two side pieces and Hannah came home and she has one of the side pieces and the girl that gave it to her has the middle piece. And then their other little friend has the other side. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I had one just like this. And it's who I'm talking to this week. So then we had to go through all the pictures. And like I was saying to Amanda, before we started, then we had to look at all the adorable pictures of your chihuahua. Elsa yeah. and I have a yappy chihuahua. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I am so excited that you're here. And so the main reason I wanted to bring you on is because of your very unique childhood, which you were experiencing when I, you know, had the honor of meeting you, except for I just looked at you like any other friend. Um, but you had a very unique journey with your mom. And all of our, as we all know, our experiences that we have growing up can really shape who we become and then who we become as moms. And so I really thought it would be interesting to hear your story and then how that has shaped you as a mom as you've raised these two now teen and preteen. So why don't we start if you can just tell us a little bit about your mom's story? Yeah. So my mom had multiple sclerosis, which is, um, It's an autoimmune disorder that affects the nervous system. So if you think about our nerves as a electrical cord with the nerves on the inside and the outer casing is uh, a material, or I guess that's the right word, called myelin. And multiple sclerosis attacks the myelin around the nerves until it ultimately attacks the nerves. So um, this affects signals to the brains, 
altering all sorts of functions, how you um, walk, how you talk, uh, if you shake, um, in progressive forms that it can affect how your organs respond, breathing and function. So um, symptoms vary, um, severity, duration, treatment is different now than it was when my mom had it. Um, and it really affects person to person. It can be very mild, it can be um, very degenerative. So um, she had it, she was diagnosed, man, I think when I was like six or seven, I was little, I, um, I don't remember her symptoms when she was diagnosed. So I remember hearing about them after the fact. So maybe I was five, maybe I was six, a little. And she died when I was 14. So she died the summer before sophomore year of high school. Um, and she was 39. Yeah, but they were gradual. Her symptoms were really gradual for a while. And then um, they got progressive. And that was it. I I remember when we were really little, because I can remember when I first met your mom, I don't remember if she was using a walker or a cane at that, but maybe a cane. And then I think the last time I had seen your mom was probably right around about junior high, because I had moved away and I'd come back to visit. And I remember her using a wheelchair at that time. Yeah. And she, her personality, she was always smiling. It seemed like, like I have such pleasant memories of her um, when I would be at your house. She was always just such a joy to be around, but I can imagine that would have made things hard for you as a, as a kid. Yeah. She was a spitfire. I, um, it's interesting, the memories that you, you know, you have, and you hold on to like, I, she was Italian. Sicilian is her, is a lot of her heritage. I mean, she had a, a lot of, um, European in her, but she was spicy and fiery and she was little. So, um, you and I are short, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know how tall you are, but my mom was five, two. That's what so, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Five, two. Like, and I'm five, four. So we're little, like we are petite women. And, um, I, you know, I remember her just holding her own as this little spitfire. And it was an interesting progression to watch her not have a, um, you know, to walk unassisted and weeble a lot, a little bit. She used to always say weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and then she can, you know, would fall. Um, but so she did walk with a, a cane for a little while and then she walked with a walker and then she did have a, a wheelchair and that was probably in middle school. I, I can't quite remember. I believe maybe the summer before high school, she, she lived with my aunt. They, they lived together, um, as sort of, you know, an assisted space. And then ultimately she was put in a care facility. Um, and you know, the adults in her life, her family, I think made those decisions with her and for her. And, and, you know, it, it was mild until it wasn't. And it was very progressive. We went through some treatments. She for sure went through chemotherapy, lost all of her hair. And then I think she did another form of, uh, you know, radiation and treatment, but I can't, I can't quite remember that mm -hmm. all those details yeah. of her treatment. So, yeah. So what are some, I, so like I mentioned, I have very fond. I don't know if I want to call them memories. I just remember her being there. Yeah. Um, but what would you say are some of your favorite memories with your mom during that time? So we, my mom and I went shopping all the time. My dog's about to jump up here. You can come up here, puppy. Yeah, I'm my. always, oh, your dog has a sweater on. It's freezing here, Heather. So it's cute. so cold in the gray Minnesota, white. Being a chihuahua in, in Minnesota, I can imagine the sweaters are critical so cute 
So anyway, this sorry. Too bad this is only audio and all of you can't see the adorable <laughs> chihuahua in the sweater, but picture it's in your mind. It's so cute. Um, so we went, she was, she was my best friend and I think I was her best friend, which as a mom, I now know that that's kind of wacky. However, like she and I were close, you know, we went shopping a lot. Um, I was a very spoiled only child and I got everything. Um, and she really made sure of that. You know, she, she was generous with her time and her resources with me. And I'm, I'm really thankful for those going shopping memories. It's not something I do anymore. Um, and it's fun when my, when I was really little, my parents were married, my parents divorced when I was in fifth grade. So we had a sailboat and I, I think I was probably a stinker when we would go sailing but now as an adult and I look back and I think about sailing with my yeah. folks both yeah. my parents like I loved that and my dad sold his sailboat a few years ago but it was really fun to take my kids sailing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have that you know that experience with them that I had with both of my parents and yeah 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 that's amazing um how do you, so the big question, right? And I feel like this is a long question, long and loaded question. How do you feel like your journey with your mom has shaped who you've become today as a person and then also as a mom yourself? Yeah. Um, When I was in high school, the administrative assistant secretary in the counseling office I won't say their name because it's the parent of somebody we know. And I'll just to, just to be guarded. Um, I think it was them that gave me this book. I can't quite remember. Uh, otherwise it was a, a counselor and it was called motherless daughters. Mm-hmm. And there was a line in the book that said in that one sentence, I feel like it says everything about me and nothing about me at all. And so as I reflect on like my mom journey, I feel like it says everything about me and I feel like it has shaped everything about me. And also it really is nothing about me. It's just this weird paradox. Um, I, I know nothing of her journey. Um, I know that she had a vaginal birth and I think she was the only one of her siblings to have a vaginal birth. Um, I don't know about her pregnancy. I don't really know if I was early or late. I, um, I know a little bit about what I was like as a child. I hit milestones really fast, um, walked, run at night, ran at nine months. I potty trained at a year. Um, I was a high maintenance baby and I know that, but I don't know if I know it because she told me, or if I've heard those anecdotal bits now as an adult from my father and from my, you know, aunts here and there. And, and my dad has reminded me of them, but it's still different. You know, a, a dad's journey is different than a mom's journey. So and, when you became pregnant, you couldn't necessarily go back and ask her all of those questions. You kind of had to try to pull what information you sort of gathered over the years. Yeah. I, and it, I just, you know, I Googled, like mm-hmm. Google was my guide and reading books was my, my, you know, like wanted to, I just wanted to sponge it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned this, like we were only children and I was super spoiled and I own that now as an adult. And, um, but I also had a mother that was dying and in the big scheme of things, when someone is dying, nothing else is important, right? Like there's trauma 
And that trauma is the most important thing. So of course, all these things were happening in my life, but my mom was dying. So I controlled the little things that I could control. I was a good student. I stayed out of trouble. I um, did things when my parents were divorced and I lived with her, you know, I learned how to do things like balance a checkbook or order pizza um, and like talk to the delivery people. You know, I started babysitting at nine and um, my kid is 15 and I don't even know if she can like write her address. I know. Child, well, I, if you were listening to this, I love you, but like, do you know our address? Well, like, and I think about my kids now at 10 and like one of them trying to babysit another kid, like, oh my goodness, no, they still need to be babysat. but I know like you mentioned you had when you had we had talked before this like when you were learning to balance a checkbook and things like that that wasn't as a teen that was as a kid yeah I I was a child Mm -hmm. a child you know I I remember so she died at 14 and prior to that I had a checkbook and my name was on the checks like I I was a full co-signer on Mm -hmm. on things um you know I I remember, and I I mentioned this to you before, like, I remember the moment I must've been seven or eight. My mom came home from work. She had a cane. I had been at the neighbor's house and I hopped the fence into the backyard. She was wearing a like copper gold and black dress. And I jumped into her arms and she held me. And then she set me down and she said, mama can't hold you anymore. Uh. And like, that is one of those like core memories. Like I remember that. Mm-hmm. And that's awful. Like my kid is, I have a 15 year old and a a 10 year old, right? So my 15 year old is 82 pounds and my 10 year old is 62 pounds. Mm -hmm. And they both still regularly are in my arms. Mm -hmm. They weigh more than I do when I carry both of them. Yeah. And I can't imagine not like hoisting them up and like, oh my God, get off me. But like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not because I can't, she, she physically couldn't. Um, you know, I, I watched her go through these medical treatments and, um, walk independently and, um, and then not, I, I watched her fall in the bathroom once while I didn't see her fall, but she fell in the bathroom and I couldn't get her up. So I don't know how old I was. I don't know, maybe 10 and maybe 11. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. My mom was five too. I bet she was 120, 130 pounds. I remember her talking about wanting to lose 10 pounds. So I, I, it feels like she's probably in that range. Um, I didn't hit a a hundred pounds to my junior year of high school. Like I know for sure I weighed 80 pounds in middle school. I tried to get her up and I couldn't pick her up off the bathroom floor. I had to call 911. And for, I was a child, you know, maybe you could say I was a preteen, but I was a child and I, failed at picking my mother off the floor in a medical situation and had to call 911. And that is a, a moment that you, I can't get back, right? Like I lost part of my childhood in that space. And so it was hard and, and I didn't know it was hard. So as I got older and things got harder because she got sicker, I was a mean kid. Like I didn't want to go see her in the nursing home because it was smelly and awful and hard. And so then I regretted it. And so these things have, have, um, 
these things that I did as a child and as a teen, preteen, they saved my life, right? Like I protected myself. I guarded myself and I did those things. Well, now baby Amanda still tries to run my life. And so I overcompensate in all sorts of areas. I manage things for my children way beyond anything that I should manage because I didn't, I didn't have a mom that managed it for me. You know, I, I bought, you know, my first box of tampons because I didn't have a period when my mom was alive. So I got that after all by myself. I um, bought my own makeup and learned how to use it badly because my mom was dead and she couldn't teach me how to use it, you know? So, um, I, I taught myself all these things and, and tried to be the little adult because there was no adult to be the adult. Yeah. And, and now I watch my 15 year old and I'm like, why can't you make your breakfast? And it's like, Oh, cause I, you make it for her every, every day. I love you again, kid. If you listen to this, you know, <laughs> you know? Okay. and you know, one thing I took out of, I mean, I took a lot of things out of, you said many beautiful things, but when you were talking about, you know, you still holding your 15 year old and you still holding your 10 year old. And part of me thinks, you know, mo- many of us take that for granted, but you having that memory of your mom wanting to hold you, but physically not being able to, I feel like somehow inside that's probably made you realize how important that is to still, you know, still pick up that 15 year old or have, you know, the 10 year old sit on your lap. And I feel like that's a good lesson for all of us listening because, you know, you can take for granted just your kids sitting on your lap or you just being able to pick them up and to think about the fact that that may not always happen or that doesn't, not everybody gets that as a child or as a parent. I feel like that's good for all of us to stop and listen to that story and take away from that, like spend that time with your kids, pick up your kid, pay attention to your kid. Like now when there's all the distractions and things like that, you know, those things are super important. And so I think that'll help. Like, I know for me listening, that'll help me slow down and actually pick up one of them or let them crawl onto my lap. So yeah, it's a really interesting balance because I have a I have a beautiful attachment with my children. Like they're really, really attached to me. And um my therapist or my daughter and I have a, a relationship therapist that we see together, he reminds me pretty regularly that our relationship is strong enough to handle mm-hmm. like it's not gonna fracture over an argument or mm-hmm. like you guys have a bond and that bond's not gonna break over something perceivably small. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, 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 there really is a balance because there's a difference in providing that connectivity and also providing a space for them to grow and become independent, you know? So it's hard and I get it because, and I, I know that I do it myself and I do it because of the crazy first few months and years of my kid's life. And I've had in very loving ways, my, my mom and my husband, they are all like you baby them. You need to stop babying them, but I can't, it's just so hard. And I'm sure it's the same way for you. Like when you've been through something traumatic like that, you know what? I can make the breakfast. It's okay. But it is hard because I do need to, they need to be more independent, but it's very hard for me to do. So I completely understand. Oh my, this weekend I was in Sedona and my partner looked at me and he's like, you have to stop. He was like, they have to pack their own suitcases you have to stop. He was like, this is the mental load. He's like, that you are not letting go of. Mm -hmm. But you're trying to do for them all the things that you had to do as a kid on your own. 
Absolutely. It's, it's such a fine balance. And I mean, I'll probably do it for years longer. You know, I, I, I'm thankful that I have someone speaking into me and I have a therapist that's saying, you know, let your kids be as big as they are, but also it's still really hard. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a thing, you know, I, you know, I, I can't imagine it. And so I overcompensate to a fault. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm trying really hard not to baby him, but I, I can't, I can't stop yet. I mean, it's I'm trying. Okay. It's okay. Well, and one thing I wanted to talk about, and you had mentioned this already as we've been talking, but the fact that you have a therapist, which I think is amazing. I think everyone should have a therapist. Um, but how you mentioned earlier to me, you didn't realize when you were going through it that it was traumatic. Yes. You know, surviving. But through the power of therapy and things like that, you've been really able to work through a lot of things. So um, I had no idea. I just didn't know. And um I have severe abandonment issues. If if you and I were to have an argument on this podcast right now, I would immediately go to worst case scenarios that you would never talk to me again and that you hate me forever and that I have like wholeheartedly fractured a relationship. Um, and it's because I just assume anybody I love will leave me mm-hmm. because I was left. Not because my mom intentionally left me, but right. because that's just the definition of death. Like, right, mm-hmm. they're, they're gone. And so I have massive abandonment issues and it took a long time of unpacking that in therapy about being a personified child and um, realizing how I had to save myself as a kid and that those were all really great coping mechanisms, healthy for a child, but also really unhealthy coping mechanisms for an adult, you know? And so, yeah, that happened. And I can have grace for my mom and the people around her that were doing the best they could. And I can have grace for myself as I learn and go forward and can look at people and go, okay, you're overreacting to the situation, Amanda, your kid is not going to run away. If you tell them they cannot watch screens tonight, you know, you're <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't tell you no, because you'll hate me, which is pathetic and ridiculous. So no, but, but I can see where it would all stem from. And I'm so glad that again, I think everyone should have a therapist, but, um, I feel, I'm really glad that you found your therapist and you've been able to work through a lot of those things or and continue. I mean, we're always all a work in progress. I know. Yeah, I think so. I think it's really important and I'm, I'm thankful. So her name's Jane and she was almost magic. So shout out to Jane. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so. um, and I think that's really cool that you and your daughter have a relationship therapist. That's really amazing, especially for a teenager because teenage years are so hard. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a whole separate podcast, but she's been in therapy for a long time. So she struggles with um, depression and anxiety and has ADHD and dyslexia. And Ah, so we should talk about that later. Gavin has both of those too. Yeah. The whole separate episode. I feel yeah. And so we started therapy, God, when she was like 10, maybe. And so did individual therapy. She does individual therapy. And then we have one we see together just to talk through like, issues and things that we're both feeling and um and also just I think to help maintain the attachment you know mm-hmm. like to maintain that so and I'm on a waiting list for my son to get into one because I think everybody needs a therapist too even yeah. a 10 year old boy yeah so. no I yeah for sure for sure that's awesome yeah. so can you tell us a little bit about so you had shared with me earlier and I think it's it was really eye-opening for me to hear how this affected you maybe a little bit differently than it might've affected someone else who hadn't had your journey with your mom about when you had been sick earlier last year. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? So I was sick actually in September. So just um, 
almost two months ago. Oh, I didn't realize it was so recent. Okay. Yep. So I got really, 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 um, I had a ton of pain in my low back and it actually presented on my daughter's birthday. So we went to an arcade, like a little bowling alley video game place. And by the time we left, I was in more pain than I, that I really could realize, you know, I was having trouble walking. We got home. I laid down on the couch and I said, you guys have to do everything. It's time to go to bed. Um, and I was sick all night and woke up in the morning. Well, I didn't actually really sleep and called the nurse's line. And they said, you need to go to the ER. Like, this is really bad. And some, we, you need tests. So I kept the kids home from school um, and I went to the ER. I told my kids I was just going to the doctor because I didn't want to scare them for no reason. I mm-hmm. assumed I would be admitted. I assumed something was going on, but I didn't want to tell them that until I had an answer. Yeah. And I had lots of tests run and ultimately I ended up with a gut infection. Mm. I'm fine now. Um, but I was hospitalized very suddenly for four days and, um, I, I have a lot of baggage around sick parents and kids and what that does. And so I did tell my kids I was going to the doctor when I got admitted, my ex-husband, their dad, I said, it's time you can tell them that I have an infection and I'm in the hospital and I'm in good hands. And that, and that was all accurate. There was a tiny little bit of, Hey, if this happens, I might have to have surgery, but ultimately I was okay. I just needed some time to recover. And so I want to be honest with my children, but I am a full do not resuscitate at 42. I have a healthcare directive and a power of attorney, um, all those documentations saying do not resuscitate. So the hospital, you know, the providers come in and they're like, hey, we wanted to talk to you, you know, because you're being admitted, we want to ask these questions about, you know, code status. And I was like, I'm, I'm a no code. Like I'm a do not resuscitate. And they're like, you're so young. And I'm like, I have hardcore baggage mm-hmm. about kids watching their parents die. And I was like, if I code, if I lose consciousness, they're like, you don't want to be intubated. And I was like, nope, pull the plug. My dad was out of the country. He was in Mexico. And I texted my partner and I said, if I have to put down an emergency contact, I said, I'm putting you. And I said, you'll pull the plug if I'm dying. Right. And he was like, I got you. Mm-hmm. And we've had this conversation before, mm-hmm. but in that moment, I was like, FYI, yeah. by yeah. the way, I, I won't do it. I, I, um, my hard line as a 95% healthy woman now, cause right. Like, you know, six weeks ago, I got a little something, something is I, I, I don't want my kids to watch me die. I don't want my kids to have to pick me up off the bathroom floor. I don't want to, my kids to see me in a wheelchair. I don't want my kids to watch me try to feed myself and shake so bad that I spill food. Um, I don't want my kids to smell me when I am unable to bathe myself. And so do not resuscitate, just don't. And I don't, I don't want anything. No life-saving interventions unless I'm pregnant and that's not happening. Um, and that's it. And so I had multiple nurses and doctors ask me, and it wasn't until the day I got discharged that they updated my hospital bracelet with a do not resuscitate. Wow. It's almost like they couldn't get their head wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. And now I have to have a general 
I, I normally just see an OBGYN, but now I have to have a, a primary care physician to just maintain and make sure my gut stays how it needs to stay going forward. And we, you know, we're doing my intake and she gets to the advanced care section and she's like, so you're at the age we want to talk to you about this. And I was like, oh, I have one. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're the first 42 year old that I've met that had one. And I was like, oh yeah, that's fine. I got you. No problem. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm like, she goes, do we have a copy of it? And I'm like, no, I'll scan it in. It's fine. But I have one. It's like on my counter. Yeah. You know, I just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't. Um, I watched it I, for a really long time. I said I wasn't going to have kids because I was afraid if I had kids, my kids would watch me die. And I, I honest to goodness, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I can't, I can't let them watch me like that. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone else, I mean, I'm sure the doctors and nurses were doing the best they could to understand, but unless you've lived your life and been in your situation, no one, no one else can understand that. Yeah. The last doctor that talked to me, I I finally looked at her and I said, I watched my mother die. My children will not watch me die. Mm -hmm. And and then she didn't say another word about it. I mean, they still didn't update my bracelet, (laughs) but (laughs) I get it. You know, I understood. And and that's yeah. fine. So, yeah. Yeah. well, and I have so much respect for you being so strong in your, in what you believe in and, you know, doing what's right for your kids and your family, especially taking the experiences that you've had to make your decisions and yeah. what, is, what is right for you is what is right for you. And what's right for your family is for you to decide. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I, I would never, ever like make anybody else make that choice. I would never right. say anybody else had sure. to make that but for me, I just, I, of all the bits of generational trauma you can pass down, I'm not going to pass down that one, mm-hmm. right? Like I'll pass down all sorts of other ones. <laughs> not well, we <laughs> I am not <laughs> passing down that one. I mean, well, I'll do everything in my power to, to not pass it down. You know what I mean? And I, it's such an, it's an interesting hypothetical because while I have all the documentation and the paper to do it, you know, like you still have to be faced with that choice in that moment. You know, mm-hmm. if you're conscious to say, nope, I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. So, yeah. Yeah. What would you say? And we're kind of going off script here. So yeah. sorry about that. Um, I'll give you extra time to think. But so me imagining Amanda at age six. Okay. And I was, I was another six-year-old. I was a friend. I wasn't going to be able to do much other than be a friend, but I'm thinking about, let's say my mom at the time, or do you have any advice? So if there is a young child going through a situation who may have a sick parent, do you have any suggestions how the rest of us could help? Is there anything that you think would be good to do or not good to do or um, any way to support that child knowing they're going to have all this trauma, anything that could be helpful? You know, that's an interesting question. I think probably the most valuable thing from an idealized point of view is, is presence Mm -hmm. and, um, and a continued rapport, man, life happens, doesn't it? Like we're 42, Heather, we have known each other for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And also we don't necessarily know the inner workings and the intimacy of each other's lives on the day to day. Right. Right. There may have been seasons of ebb and flow. But there are, I think, very few adults who knew me and knew my mother that are still in my life. Mm -hmm. And I 
would like to think I that if something happened to one of my very close friends here, that I would want to stay. And I, and I say, I would like to think I would want to stay in that child's life, not as a replacement mom, mm-hmm. but as someone who knew their mom and who could talk about their mom. And I don't know, God, like, um, to be that aunt Amanda, like I really bought my first set of tampons mm-hmm. and I didn't start my period till 16. She died when I was 14. Like, you know, I, I really bought my own yeah. and that is, that's an interesting thing, you know, like I, I don't know. I, I think if I, if that would be like my one bit of advice is if, if there is somebody in your world that's sick, just keep showing up. Even when that kid is a dick or mm-hmm. like a total teenager, like just keep showing up because one of the things that my therapist said to me that really resonated and I, and I, then I had to do a little bit of like introspection is like all the adults in your life when you were a kid were the adults, like mm-hmm. you were in a really shitty position because all of those adults let you be in that really shitty position. Mm-hmm. And I, it was an interesting space, you know, like yeah. that, that that's real. I'm the adult. And so I get to say this is how my kid is, you know, that I get to raise her in the way that I and raise him in the way that I want to raise them. And so if it were a, a friend's kid, I'd like to think that I could still show up, even if it's hard, mm-hmm. you know, no, that's good advice. And then, you know, like you said, just presence and that way to have someone to go to, to be like, Hey, I need tampons, like just someone who you're comfortable enough with that should something happen they have someone they feel comfortable with. It's really good. It's really yeah, good. I mean, there's a lot of things we do as kids and and we want to do them on our own, right? But also there's a lot of things that would go better if we had a grown up to walk it out with us. For sure. Right? Yeah. Like, we always think we're bigger than we are, but you just really had to grow up a lot faster than the rest of us did. Totally. Well, I really appreciate you sharing this. I think it is so helpful in so many ways. I mean, it's so helpful, obviously, if we were to know someone like that who may have a parent, you know, one of our kids' classmates may have a sick parent or something of that sort. But I think also, like I said earlier, I'm in a, not a situation at all like that, but it helps me put things in perspective and not take things for granted and um, really stop and realize that it's an honor to be able to raise these kiddos because not everyone does get to raise their kids past, you know, it's not a guarantee. And so I really appreciate that. That's, that's such good mom advice for me. Yeah. The, the only other thing, like, I think I, I, this was my like afterthought when I emailed you as well is my, like, I have this weird parallel timeline. Mm-hmm. I live my life um, knowing that like my mom didn't get to do these things. And so I sort of measure my life and my accomplishments in relation to what she did or didn't do. Right. Mm-hmm. She, okay. she died at 39. So my 40th birthday was really surreal oh, I knowing that I lived longer than she did. Mm-hmm. And when my first kid turned 15, I thought, huh, I watched my child turn 15 and, and she never got to see me turn 15. And so it's, it's just this weird 
introspective. Yeah. I, I think I got to get, I got one kid to 15. I got to get another kid to 15, you know? Mm-hmm. And I have a, I have a friend whose dad died and she said, he used to always say, I just want to watch you guys graduate high school. Mm-hmm. And he died shortly after the third child graduated high school. Wow. And like, it, it's just this weird, it's almost like a time loop. Like mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I don't know. It's a weird thing. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like that could be good and bad. Like, I feel like there could be good parts to that and bad parts to that, but yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But yeah, that's, you've given us a lot to think about. Thank you very Thank much. You. Very so much. I am so impressed with your strength and your willingness to find that therapist, go back and realize that, you know, you were so strong as a kid and you're so strong as an adult, but it's also okay to have to work through things and go back and think about things that happened. And that's a really good lesson for all of us. So thank you very much. Okay. Much more lighthearted question on its way. So after all of that deep thought, the the question that I ask all of my guests, if you had a whole day to yourself and you could go anywhere, do anything, you know, money is no object, distance is no, no issue. Um, where would you go and what would you do? I would be on a beach in the sunshine, like no question, hundred percent. That's where I would be. Sun up to sundown. If I could do that. Do you have a favorite beach you've ever been to or a specific one you're dreaming of going to, or just any beach? Any beach Mm -hmm. with sunshine and a kind of a, either like an umbrella or a palm tree. So I can kind of go in the shade and not get sunburned because I am a Minnesotan now. (laughs) Very fair skinned. You can't see me, but I'm very fair skinned. <laughs> Perfect. That sounds like an amazing place to be. And maybe you could even swing it. So your little chihuahua that I just saw peek over a, a second yeah. ago, maybe she could be there too. <laughs> She's made for the beach too. We are both made for no sweaters and warm weather. I love it. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for talking today. It's been so fun to catch up and, um, I really appreciate you being so open and vulnerable with us about your story and your mom's story. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump on here real quick and remind you about my books. So Learning to Breathe is our NICU journey from when my twins were born at 24 weeks and just a pound and a half each. And then the NICU Mama Survival Guide is a book I wrote combining my knowledge as a pelvic health PT who's worked in postpartum care for a really long time with my experience as a NICU mom to help moms recover, even though the little one is in the NICU, to help them recover from their pregnancy and delivery. Both books are available on Amazon. Thanks for joining us today on the Mama Sisterhood Podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any extraordinary motherhood journeys. Also, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second to rate and review. This helps me reach more moms. See you next week. Thank you.